Hi, I'm Daniel. I'm Joe. And I'm Paul. Welcome to the Forks Drum Closet podcast, video podcast, episode five, The Empire Strikes Back. (laughs) I didn't say what franchise, so everybody calm down with your lawsuit threats. Anyway, we hope everyone is uh, being safe out there this evening, Um, just like we've been doing. We're kind of holed up here in the drum store uh, after hours. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, as well as YouTube, Spotify, Reverb, and ForksDrumCloset.com. Please check all those out any chance you get for updates. Got a couple announcements we'll do at the top of the hour here. Of course, like a lot of businesses, um, we're sort of watching how many people are in here at a time. I mean, uh, you know, our store is full of drums and percussion as it is with 10 folks can sometimes feel like a crowd. So we're kind of trying to limit 10 at a time. We're also offering free demo sticks. So not only we encourage you, of course, to bring your own demo sticks because it's always nice when you're trying your your own gear. But we also do have uh, demo sticks uh, from the wonderful folks at Diodario, Promark sticks that they've sent to us um, to use uh, here in the store. And you can take those home with you they are complimentary which that's very cool of those guys thank you Diodario. yes um other than that we still are offering curbside service of course you can drive through you know our side door it's not really a drive through yeah. of course but just say hey i'm out here throw me the drum heads and we'll get them to you of course yep. um and then also we're still shipping so yes. make, make sure you're hitting us up on the social medias we mentioned a few minutes ago as well as sales at forksdrumcloset.com through the website reverb all those things because yep. we are still very stocked um we're very fortunate to be like that yep. in music city so anyway, I think that's all um, for the announcements, yeah. as it was. But uh, back to what we were saying about our sweet, one of my favorite people in the entire universe, and I do mean that genuinely, yep. Paul Snyder. Um, Paul, thanks for being here. Oh, I thought I was going by old Silverback. Today. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Well, it is It is um, too bad we don't can't I get, know. We actually, can't see the Paul Bot. Um, the Paul Bot. Paul Bot. 2000? 20. 5700. Paul Bot 5700. Many updates. I know you. I love you for a long time, Danny. You and you, you and I had, at least on my end, the privilege of working together for, I think, seven or eight years. Um, and that was one of the, uh, the most fond memories of my life. I learned um, for real drum stuff that I never, you can't learn out of a book. Real world lessons um, in terms of how to, how to deal with retail, the music business itself. So, man, um, I know you well, and I know Joe does, but a lot of our, our new viewers may not know the legend, and I mean that, Paul Snyder. Uh, uh, welcome. Where are you from? What are you, what are you doing uh, nowadays, well, buddy? I am originally from Augusta, Georgia. I moved to Nashville, in, and I was really, really young. Just want to say that up front. But, uh, like you are 1979, today. 1979, and uh, <laughs> uh, it was a whole different world back then, obviously. And uh, so I've seen lots of changes to Nashville, lots of changes to the music business, lots of changes to the flavor of drummer that's popular at the time um, and fortunate enough to have ended up working with Gary in the early stages of the drum shop and uh, stayed working with Gary for the longest time as his manager and um, is an experience in a time period that I don't think will ever be duplicated yeah. and uh, here we are now, and uh, when that came to an end, I went to work for SIR, which is right up the road here, and uh, got into more of the, not the retail end of things, but the uh, the backline and teching and, uh, you know, working festivals and 
concerts and things of that nature and dealing with writers and right i mean whole thing whole festival writers correct yeah uh during bonnaroo it wouldn't be uncommon for us to send 50 drum sets wow down to manchester uh that might get used by twice that many acts right depending on whether they're a headliner or not but uh, you'd have to get them ready maintain them maintain them and or change things down there if they got used earlier and then the next act has to have new heads on them or whatever all of that Um, and it, it starts with basically a a list a writer which is is their wish list for everything they want exactly company wise brand wise all that stuff and then we go well we here's what we can do that's closest to that and eventually through several emails and such uh agreement comes that uh this is what we're going to go with you know sure and uh, and then that's where we go from from our stock that we have which is huge yeah uh, on and uh, so that's been a valuable experience too because uh i you know it's a whole nother side of retail that I things I thought I might have known sure. until I got there and realized, oh wow, this is a whole nother side of the business that right now I've been doing for going on uh, seven years or so. Right. So, you know, it feels more normal to me now. <laughs> but you know, well, you can. In I would imagine um, the experience you have um, in the recording studio, which is extensive. I mean, you and a, a wonderful guy named Michael St. Leon own the Switch Art Studio right. here in Nashville, and you've right. got a lot of experience there, so that is probably invaluable to these folks. Right. Uh, technically, Michael owns it, and we built it together years ago for a band project like everybody built mm-hmm. a studio for originally, I think. But at the time, <laughs> right. um, there was not uh, every, a home studio on every block, and it started off just to be four walls and a ceiling to rehearse in, and and then next thing you know, other people got involved, and it was a full-blown studio, mm-hmm. and still operational to this day. Uh, the Switchyard is called, and yeah, Michael Saint Leon, one of my oldest, dearest friends, like you, and um, a great guitar player who also, the degree, plays in the Midnight Riders with Gary. Right, and I, right. He's one of the guitar players. Now, you guys, you were just about to say something, Joe. Yeah, uh, tell us a little bit about the Midnight Riders. Fantastic. The Midnight Riders. uh, Midnight Riders are an Allman Brothers tribute band with two drummers, one of which is me, and the other one, which is Gary Forkham, who is the the grand poopa of of all that we have now and uh our fearless leader fearless uh, we, leader we, we we let's just cut the chase <laughs> and call him the man yeah <laughs> the main man yeah he is the man um and so on our 40th birthdays we decided growing up excuse me growing up playing allman brothers uh all of our life me being from the south and him being from nashville that we had never done it with two drummers. We played a lot of their songs and bands, but never with two drummers. Right. And we just wanted to do it once, if it was for only for once. So <laughs> the night of our 40th birthday party, where we were playing a bar in town, and we did it, and we and it never we never went home after that. It stayed that way, and it became. And at the time, it was not the Midnight Riders. It was just a party band that played a bunch of Alma Brothers and things of that nature. Um, but then we played. The five spot, and uh, that was a great show. And somebody suggested you guys should just go play a night of Allman Brothers, and we thought, well, that sounds like fun. We already do seven or eight of them anyway, right? You know, yep. so we went and did that, and that caught fire, and it was like same band, same people, mm-hmm. <laughs> different name, 
focus. And this was a, a bit ahead of, um, at the time, I think Steve Eby had the uh, Steely Dan tribute band, and there was a Chicago, their Chicago tribute mm-hmm. band was might have been around, and uh, there was only a handful of tribute bands. Yeah. They weren't even called tribute bands yet. Right, that had, that trend hasn't ex- <laughs> that, that had exploded. Term, yeah. That term is you yeah. know something that came so, along with yeah. it. But we have been doing that as the Midnight Riders uh, with Michael St. Leon guitar and one of Jeff, uh, Jeff Jones, who is one of Gary's childhood friends who they went to school, high school together and all. Um, and uh, we've had this band for, I want to say, going on 15 years, somewhere yeah, in that wow. range. Mm-hmm. And still working, still playing, still uh, having people sit in with us that blow our minds every time yeah. we stop and think about it you know because sure. some of them we grew up with um and idolized in some ways um and so you know couldn't be more fortunate that and couldn't be more fun than playing with two drummers it's a thing that everybody should at least try once in that yeah. regard because i've seen you guys and it's fantastic if any of you guys haven't seen the midnight riders um gary is obviously the i, I suppose the butch trucks person and you're doing the jmo thing right. was it i mean being a fan of the band i'm sure you had an insight that a lot of folks trying to learn on that gig wouldn't but was it i think i've heard maybe you talk about it being interesting learning sort of the auxiliary drum set role right in that band um Two things that really opened up. I played for years in bar bands where I was the meat and potato guy, just like every one single drummer in a in a bar band is for the most part. Sure, you know that's, that's how you work. It's your job, right? Right. And um, this was the first opportunity because Gary was really good at doing that. He has a great pocket and good time, and uh, so it w- it was never even discussed. Really, it just worked from day one, and. I started to find my way around, ways to play around it, which opened me up in a lot of ways um, as a player that, you know, I didn't expect. And then playing with Steve Eby and the Lawn Players Mm -hmm. and starting, okay, can you play some tambourine and shaker on this album that we're doing live? Uh, And then, you know, next one's, uh, well, there's hand claps. Next thing, well, there's congas. And, you know, and now, so cut the chase years later, I've, now fairly versed and playing a lot of percussion instruments. Yeah. So, both two very good experiences that uh, I didn't see coming from yeah. any direction, really. Did and you find that it affected your your meat and potatoes playing when you would be at the switch order somewhere playing as the, the main drummer? That's a very good question, and the truth is yes, because... Um, uh, the 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 JMO style in the Allman Brothers tribute band is a lot more jazzy, and I'm not a jazz drummer, but it's a jazzier style that kind of floats and and weaves and and locks in as well. But uh, um, it. it it, it, it's just it's not you know I, I would go back after doing nothing but those kind of gigs for a while and maybe get a session over the switchyard and you know it's a quick thing that where you realize you know oh wait a minute I got I can't I got to lay into this a little bit you know and and get solid with this and I'm the only guy here and this is not that style of drumming and you know right you know because my natural thing because we would be playing all the time live would just sit down and think I'm gonna ting 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 you know sure and I was like no 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 it's got Right, you know, it didn't take long to figure that out. But um, yes, to answer that question is absolutely something that uh, takes a little adjustment, um, and it's come easier over the years. But um, I also don't do as many sessions as I used to over there back in the day. We had publishing companies and such, and we were trying to do the country radio type 
songs and that that type thing. Yeah. What do you find are the differences or similarities between other bands that have double drummers, like for instance, the Outlaws or the Grateful Dead, or right. something, something along well, those Well, and lines. the thing is, is you know, like I said, I was from Augusta, Georgia, so I grew up in Georgia, and so the Allman Brothers was the first thing that hit me like that, right. you know. And then I started hearing about the Grateful Dead and stuff, and I would listen, and and I found things that were similar and things that I liked about it, but uh, I didn't find as much in the improvisational jazz kind of side of it as mm-hmm. I did, I guess, with the Allman Brothers thing. Which I remember uh, the revelation of what JMO actually sounded like on the first Sea Level record, which came out, which I, maybe not a lot of people are familiar with, was Chuck Lavelle, the keyboard player that in the later version of the Allman Brothers, who now tours uh, with the Rolling Stones as their band leader. Um, He's played with you guys a couple of times too. Hasn't <laughs> right. He. He had a band called Sea Level. S E A L E V. E-L, and it was him and J-Mo and Lamar, the bass player from the Almaros who passed years ago, but they were just a trio. Mm-hmm. And it was a piano jazz kind of with a, a rock spin on it a little bit, Capricorn Records. Um, but it, it was the first time where I ever identified J-Mo and his sound, and, right. and, and I could then I could go back and I could pick it off the records and go, oh, that's him over here on the okay, left side, you know? Yeah. And But for them, the other thing that made them different was... The drum sets were tuned in different, totally different sizes and ranges um, for you know, timbers, whatever you want to call right. it. Um, so J-Mo always used an 18-inch bass drum, kind of with a jazz wide-open tuning, and mm-hmm. a, a 12 and a 14 cranked Elvin Jones type, right, right. you know. And um, Butch was more the the meat and potatoes, the fatter kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of times on the early studio recordings, he ended up more prevalent in the mix because any producer would gravitate toward that if it's right. the solid mm-hmm. thing right. and then you mix the other thing in and uh, um, you know because I remember Johnny Sandlin who produced the Brothers and Sisters record for the Allman Brothers telling me at one point that it took him to that record which was several years into their success uh, it's the one that Ramblin' Man was on um, that uh, that was the first record where he understood how to mix it and make it, you know, where both things are heard at the same time right. and that kind of thing. I think before that, a lot of guys just went, well, we'll mix this one way back and push this one right. way up, and right. that'll be that, you know. Um, well, it helps, too, when 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 each drum set is tuned differently, you can pull it out of the mix back. So. Yeah, and uh, so between Gary and I, you know, if – if you were to hit my time and then hit his time and then hit my floor time and hit his floor time, it would still have a musical right. tonal thing to it. Um, but my drums by far are tuned a, a lot tighter yeah. in general. Yeah. And uh, that's another thing that I had to kind of work around and get, get go back to. and forth yeah. in the studio and stuff. Well, wait a minute, that doesn't always work for, right. you know, unless you're playing jazz or right. something, you know. It mm-hmm. works in that band. But uh, And I think that's a, a thing a lot of... Uh, all my brothers tribute bands kind of miss out on a small thing but yeah. to, I'm a drummer so it's everything to sure <laughs> how does that being being a drummer um, and, and sort of obviously having a, a, a really strong not only talent and feel but um, intuition for those things when you're doing things with, with our instructor Steve Eby with the uh-huh. long, long players right. and things how does that because I know Steve is pretty meticulous about the the drum parts in those bands yeah. Are, is it the same way with no, everything that is two other I mean it's like I, I I really appreciate and and sometimes sit back in wonderment at, at 
the opposite ends of the spectrum that I have with those two acts. And uh, I'm not a long player. I'm not. I'm an adjunct player, but I'm usually there more than not because there's usually percussion sure. on these records that they're uh, doing live. Um, but their thing is two rehearsals, one with a band. So you get your Dropbox, you get your tunes, you get about a week, if you're lucky, to work on it. You come to one rehearsal with the band. Sometimes it's it's amazing what it ends up sounding like after that first rehearsal. And then the second rehearsal, all the singers show up. So there's 10 different singers, minimum, usually. And so you run them through there and you're trying to do this. So that's your second rehearsal. And that one's always amazingly better than the first rehearsal yeah. with just the band. Because, you know, the, with just the band, everybody's a little looser. And, you know, like, okay, well, we're just, okay, you got that? Yeah, we got that, whatever. When the singers start marching in there, they're looking at their watches. And so, you know, you got to tighten it up a little bit more. And then there's your show. And then that's it for that record. Yeah. With the Allman Brothers thing, <laughs> I could stop playing. I could, you know, I could, uh, I could, I, there are things that we play the same night after night that are just part of the arrangement and the energy of the way the tune, uh, you know, comes together. Um, but there is just as much every night in several of the songs that are is totally imp- just improv for me anything that I basically feel like playing mm-hmm. you know within a tasteful range hopefully sure of course yes uh, so two completely different yeah. ends of the spectrum since I've got you here on the spot in the in I could the, never uh, do what Steve Eby does charting that stuff out and doing it he's two rehearsals and like that and he's amazing and he never ceases to uh yeah, to make me realize that he'd be great. Steve would be great on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, he would. Be, it would be really good. To get him. He would. He great should, session he player. Definitely do it. He's got a Teacher. lot of great insight yeah. and, and a lot of experience. And yeah. So tell me about. I got you on the spot. I'm going to ask you about one of my favorite things you do when I see you play live. Uh-huh. You do this killer swing. You got a great swing feel, but mm-hmm. then you do this little shuffle thing mm-hmm. where you're. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. Where you start going. Yeah. You're playing the inner beat on yeah. the snare to thing. Yeah. Hit me to that. Is is where did you see that or is that your thing? Like I saw it. And I was like, I got to rip this off right now. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those things where, um, with Gary and I. There are times when I might play some things that Butch played on the records, and he might play some things that J-Mo played. It's not a hard-cut thing gotcha. as far as the way we replicate what, what they did on the records or whatever. Okay. So it's like, you know, it's just kind of like our version of it or whatever. So um, Gary generally plays a shuffle with a so I started thinking well I don't want to double up on that I don't want to play exactly what he's playing but I don't want to double up on the ting 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 on the ride symbol so I want I think a quarter note that ends up on the on the ride symbol oh yeah and so then I was thinking, well, if I do that, then it's still missing a little bit of that double-handed shuffle on the snare because he doesn't really do that in his beat as much. You know, he's more of a backbeat kind of guy. And uh, so it, it was kind of a thing for me finding that. And then it became a thing where it's like it's the only way I can play it. And they never played it that way. Yeah. I mean... But it seems to work, and I, that's the time when I really feel like we swing and it locks, and uh, and I'm not in the way because I'm just going boop, 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 you know, sort of like that on the bass drum yeah. every so often, you know, where, you know, like I said, he's do, 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 do,
so it's a thing that you know but it's another thing as well that i've had to watch and realize well this doesn't work for a single drummer on a studio cut uh yeah sometimes so, you know sure. or live for that matter if you're the only drummer then all of a sudden it's like well wait a minute you know because it would just be a natural thing i'd go to sometimes oh, if man. i sat down yeah but it's a thing that all again opened me up to that kind of uh jeff hamilton the great jazz drummer oh, great. he always talks about uh you know, going this way. Oh, no, a, no, uh, no. Uh, he wants lateral motion instead right. of staccato. Up right, yeah. right. And, and, but so the balance somewhere in there, if you're trying to blow like a loud rock band with two guitars and a B3 and two drummers, you mm-hmm. know, whatever, is to get a little bit more big handed with it, I guess. But that same thing as opposed to, you know. Yeah. So, you know, that to me is, you know. I, first time I saw you do it, I think I was upstairs at uh, the old third in Lindsley, and I just started working here, and I was checking you guys out because, you know, you go see the boss's right. band play, right? Oh, you, sure. You definitely go see the boss band yeah. play. <laughs> so, you know, watching you guys, and all of a sudden I turn around, I saw you doing double the the over-under thing, yeah. and I was like, oh, my God. It's <laughs> it's so beautiful. I must I must do this as soon as I can. It's funny because I've had more people comp- comment on that, and I'm not a trained drummer by any means. I Marshall knows know, what I'm talking about. That I've, thing rolls. Yeah, I've uh, I've you know. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's one of those things, kind of that necessity was the mother of invention, it. and uh, it didn't sound cluttered to me. Mm-hmm. It sounded supportive to me when I did that, and so. It's all about these, yeah, right? Right, right. If you're not, if, yeah. if they, you're missing it all, well, if you're not using those, so you know, don't take our word for it. Go get it yourself a ticket to see the Midnight Riders as <laughs> yeah. soon as we can well, all play yeah, live music. Loud. When, when, yeah. when uh, do you have any shows booked down the road? I don't. The road? Not that I'm aware of at this point, but everything's still just st- starting to kind of open up. Maybe you know, we were regulars at Third and Lindsley here in town, and that's uh, where we played our last gig before everything shut down. Right. About a week or two before everything yeah, shut down. Yeah, and. We will be as well as the lawn players. That's where they play uh, also. But um, I'm, I, I haven't heard that he's not reopening or anything like that. So I can't imagine it was one of the best venues in town. Yeah, so right, um, it is nice. Especially generally, after we will right. be on a Friday or Saturday night, and I just say maybe keep an eye open for them and their calendar, and uh, I hope hope it'll be sooner than yeah. later. How much road travel do you guys do? We do. Uh, it depends. On, you know, we used to do a little bit more. We'd hit sometimes where we were, I don't know, two or three weekends out of a month. And then as uh, we've all gotten older and retired <laughs> and things, you know, um, it's, and uh, Jeff runs a restaurant and Michael runs a switchyard. Yeah. And uh, um, it hasn't been as much. And then, of course, everything came to a screeching halt right. here recently. But I'd say we would average, you know, with all of us having jobs, you know, um, we would average, I don't know, two weekends a month, maybe, you know. Sometimes it was more than, more than others, you know. Mm-hmm. But we used to play a lot uh, during the summertime, and especially down Georgia and yeah. in the south, obviously, yeah. you know. But, Very cool. Yeah. But uh, earlier today when, when Joe and I found out that you were coming onto the show, mm-hmm. we were, you know, you're obviously running things. Oh my gosh, we, we could talk to Paul about anything. You know, what could we say? And what, well, you have a part one and you have a part two. <laughs> that's it. Because <laughs> for me here, it was uh, almost what 
26 years or something. Yeah, so right. yeah. there's a lot. I said a uh, lot of things that could be talked about. Over oh my the years, gosh! You know? One of well, we brought up today. One of my favorite things were, and this is something drummers, at least myself for sure, but yeah. a lot of drummers are guilty of is um, brand mispronunciation. Um, you know, oh god, the, the Swiss symbol company Pasty. Of course, when I was yeah. a kid, forever I said paste, right, paste, or yeah. pasty, right. Yeah. Pasty. So, what are some paste. of your fam- favorite brand mispronunciations over the years? Well, there have been the ones that are just total mix-ups, um, which we used to keep a list around. Uh, there was Tomaha. Tomaha, Tomaha sure. Um, there was uh, Gibulator. Okay. A guy called, and, said, now, and I'm not sure if he called Forks or where, but it got around between the retailers. We used to all call each other and say, hey, I heard one today. You know, we It's a small list. network right, of people, right. sure. And uh, so there was, uh, I'm going to get a Gibulator rack with zillions all around. Zillions, zillions all around, right, okay. Right. Now, was this the same guy with the, one of my favorites was the guy describing the drum set he had the double pistol holder. oh no that's one that Gary knows better than I do but um, and I want to think maybe Jim Pettit this might have come through over Memphis at, drum shop holler, yeah hello and, and um, uh, it was uh, look here I need to get a clip adapter the one that goes on the sky tom not the flow based uh, 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 the one that goes on the sky tom and it goes on the flow base, not the squatty leg, Tom. Not the floor squatty leg with the legs on it. Right. <laughs> sure. So it rolls off better. Gary can it's roll so it off it's so, so much better than I can. But it's the Sky Tom. Sky Tom. I'm, I'm looking for a clip adapter. Yep. So it's the old clip mount, you know, where it yep. just slides on there or whatever. And uh, for a Sky Tom. Right. The one that goes on the flow base, not the squatty leg, Tom. I, I That's he, how it goes. I thought he said something about he didn't, he was wasn't, he was a clip adapter not looking for a double pistol. Holder. Well, there's a double pistol holder. It was a whole separate thing. That's a, tom, that's a double That tom was holder. like the pearl. Uh, oh, yeah. Kind of looked like two pistols sticking oh, sure, out. Oh, sure, yeah, sure. There was a double cheater pedal. Double cheater pedal. Oh, that's a double pedal. Because right. if you're playing two double pedals right. on one drum, that's right. cheating. Right. There was the goat pedal. Goat pedal. Oh, is that the ghost? Ghost pedal. Ghost pedal. Ghost. Right. Yeah, I remember those. Uh, there's your drive symbol. Sure. You are driving drive. the van. Uh, d- d- Doc. Remember Doc? Riley Evans. Riley Evans uh, was a deacon at a, a church here called the Boyce, B-O-Y-C-E, Street Baptist Church. This has been 19, gosh, 80 probably. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And he would come in and he would go, look, all, all, all these boys in and tore this stuff up again. Oh, the drummers in their church. Right. And he would up. get sent to get to take, take care of it or whatever. I see. And so he coined several things. He coined the the uh, the drive symbol. Okay. He coined the slash because he's talking about a splash. Oh, a slash symbol. Slash slash symbol. Okay. I don't know why they like these small things. They just tear them up. The slash symbol, and then they had the. You get excited uh, in church. You feel in the spirit. No, right. Yeah. Absolutely. You tear it up. We are in the south, um, and the, the raise the, the roof. The spirit gets. <laughs> That's it. High. Right. Oh, Landrig. Oh, Landrig. Sure. That. Um, we obviously know a Ludwig thing. Oh, right. It's kind of like anybody, you know, somebody calls looking for a 14-inch coated aquarium. He, know, oh, you, and Singerton. 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 Okay. We'd say, Riley, he he, said, he called himself Doc. His name was Riley Evans, and I'm pretty sure he's probably not with us anymore. Oh. But uh, he would go, uh, he'd go, oh, it's a, it's a Landrig or a Singerton or something. I don't know. He's a good friend of you guys. Well, he was just a regular yeah. customer who time. came in. He was much older than we were at the yeah. time, you know. Right. 
But, uh, you know, it was a whole different time back then Too when funny. people just got in their car and if they didn't call you, they drove across town to see yeah. you. You know, I mean, so. that's how it was. But we didn't even have this back when we didn't even have area codes written on buildings, much less two different area codes now written right. on buildings. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's become a whole other world here. Yeah. So. It's, it's, I mean, somebody said, you can't obviously take a census of this, but somebody said 30,000 drummers live in Nashville now, I, I think I heard, which is. I uh, wouldn't be surprised. And I know that there's all kinds of different ways to shop now um so uh, you know having a place still around like this is a is a rarity and uh you know i would advise anybody out there i don't care how much you're used to shopping online or whatever you need to experience your local drum shop truth i mean you know you got to see it you got to touch it you know you got to hear it obviously and yeah you know gary did the right thing for all those years with you well gary said when he first started he wanted to have everything that you saw in the modern drummer he wouldn't be able to walk in here and touch it you know and i think for the most part he pretty much pulled that off for for all those years years i mean i I don't know it wasn't easy but you know but um you know I feel fortunate that I was there during all those time periods because a lot of great drummers, some of that are not with us anymore, but a, a lot of history of Nashville drummers and the lineage of how they've gone through the years, and uh, you know, that's one of the all best that kind of stuff. One of the best parts about this job, and you know, because obviously any job gets heated, and you, you go home on a day every once in a while where you're like, my gosh, yes, what a day! But there is the reward of getting to call all these people friends is is something it is uh you know i used to just about when i worked here i couldn't go anywhere and it was a smaller town in general but anywhere hardly without running into somebody that knew me from forks um but even to this day i still have relationships with people and i come down here and shop and you know you guys and i'm fortunate enough to be included in this uh so that's welcoming it makes me feel good makes me feel like that you know I must have done something right when I was here. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it's not all the time, of course, but I do still get calls for oh, yeah. for Paul. I, uh, let yeah, me talk to Paul. Funny. Oh, you know, Paul, that's you funny. Know? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that's Well, that's every mark. now and then they'll call up to SIR and they'll come get me and they'll say, Paul, somebody's on the phone for you. And I'll come answer the phone and, and it'll be somebody that sometimes I remember, sometimes I don't, but generally it's a question having to do with buying drums. Somehow, yeah, yeah. You know? Man. Um, I don't, I'm not gonna. I'll make this quick. Not yeah. try to embarrass you. But no, since, you're fine. Once again, since I've got you on the hot seat, I'll, I'll yeah. tell one of my personal favorite Paul right. Snyder stories. And this, right. was, you know, way before I worked here, I would have been. Um, I think I was 12 years old, and I had just really gotten into to drums and sort of a this. This looks like something I would, I would like to do sort of phase. And so my father took me down to uh, the fir- not the first Forks drum closet, but the one where you guys split corner music uh-huh. right next door right. where we right. ended up on that 12th was the, Avenue. Yeah. So I walk in the store, and, and you know, man. I mean, you talk about you guys keeping a mini NAMM show or a mini modern mm-hmm. drummer thing. It was, mm-hmm. I mean, 12-year-old boy walks oh, into yeah. this place. It was like, oh, my gosh, you know. And I'd never seen anything like it, of course, other than your big box stores. And so I walked in. Which weren't very many of those then. There weren't. You right, know, you yeah. had your maybe thoroughbred and a few right. that aren't here anymore. Yeah. Um, but, man, I walked in. You guys had it set up so cool. And it was like, oh, my God. And so I, at the for that split second, I was the only customer in the store. And you feel like you're obviously a kid in a candy store. Yeah. So I remember climbing up on the riser, which is probably the same riser we still have at the warehouse. Probably. And you guys had set up this amazing DW kit. Right. I know you've heard me tell a story. Yeah. yeah. But maybe I they, think so. Maybe they haven't. This, this is before the electronic drums and the pedals were up there, right? Well, this, no, no, this is at the old This is the where Pro Audio right. went in yep. the corner music corner. corner. Yeah. Which right. is also the first time I ever shopped 
and we'll get to that after that. Okay. Was it in that store? Yeah. It was a great place. Yeah, I mean, really you was. know, the 12th Avenue place was great, of course. And now this room is amazing as well. But man, so I walk in, and I said, and there was this killer marble, whatever. I, I think it was like a gray, smoky DW kit. Yeah. And you guys had it set up and the high symbols yeah. was awesome. So I sit down, and you know, as a little kid, you know, you go, and like I got like two bars into Smells Like Teen Spirit. And, you know, the responsible manager that he is, Paul Snyder, is like, you know, kid, you, that's a $7,000 drum set. You can't just destroy it like I was, right? And so I remember being so scared. I was like, oh, my God, yo, I don't have the money to pay for this and all this. And, and by no means did you make me feel uncomfortable or right. weird or anything. But I was like, this is a grown man who is not only questioning like my ability to pay for this instrument but like so now I'm like oh my god so but also never, your ability to play that not, instrument I knew, you, know, you can't play anything so I said there oh my god so then I never forgot I was like man so as I grew up through the years shopping here with Paul I was like man I gotta make this dude think that I know what I'm talking about no matter what they check because this is this dude is serious oh, this is for real well. so getting to work with you for all those years like I mean I, I am giving you a little bit of hero hero whatever well. but it was a trip and it was awesome and well here we are for one thing in that room in the original shop you know it there was, was hiding kind of tw- 20 feet between walls if yes, that right? right you know um so anything would have been loud and um <laughs> there are many including Mark Beckett who's now plays on the Opry and Country Records we and love you Mark Ma- love Mark Beckett um, who probably I scared the crap out of when he was young as well. <laughs> you just you came down. I didn't, intend, I didn't intend to. Uh, <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, well, I mean, you're but, in, you're in peak physical condition well, now. I don't know about so, that. No, so back no, then, peak. I mean, it was very scary. You know what I mean? I mean, I said, "Well, my gosh." All right. Anyway, um, so you, you so so, so my my sister lived in Na- I'm not from Nashville. I'm yeah. from upstate New York, right. and uh, but my sister lived in Nashville in the mid '80s until okay. about 1991 or so. And in 1998, I was uh, or not 98, 1988. Right. Uh, I was two years out of high school. My sister was getting married. Right. And I was down here for my sister's wedding, right. and I I had seen. Forks Drum Closet and Modern Drummer, and I, I had to go to Forks Drum Closet. So I went over there and I looked around for a while. You had asked me a couple of times. Alan talked to me a couple of times. Yeah. Um, or maybe maybe Alan wasn't there yet. He, he probably was. He was working at that point. Okay. He but might, uh, yeah. the, uh, what I ended up buying was one of the Promark ratchets, those yellow handled. Uh, yeah, yeah, the uh, tuning ratchet type Tuning yeah, ratchets. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mentioned to you, you, you were the salesman right, that was yeah. selling it to me. I mentioned to you that I was considering moving to Nashville. <laughs> and I, and I, I don't remember exactly the comment, but it was basically kind of, it, it's kind of the comment that I would have to somebody today who, who'd, <laughs> who'd come in and say, yeah, I'm thinking about moving to Nashville. And it was, uh, well, well, do you really think you got what it takes, more or less? <laughs> well, I know I I didn't. I mean, you know, if, if you're if you're talking about to be the Greg Morrow's or right. the, those guys that play on records every day, I, you know, it's painfully aware to me every time I sit down to drums that I didn't have that. <laughs> um, so there's that. But uh, um, you know, the other thing that was interesting back then is you know because there was no internet, none of this stuff um, that people thinking you know we people would come and put cards up on a on a uh, bulletin board we had for 
club gigs or looking for a drummer for this. That that was the extent of right. media, right? And but people thinking that we were in Nashville even back then would call us thinking that we had a line on the the newest drum audition for the right, for right, a country right. star. Oh, know? okay, yes. And so uh, one in particular that sticks out in my mind was a guy who called and he said, "Well." Um, I said, well, I started explaining to him. I said, well, um, generally what happens is, you know, you come down here and you might pick up a showcase or something. And, well, I can play everything. I can play anything. I said, well, that may be true. But what has to happen is they'll give you a CD or their record or whatever. And they'll, especially for a showcase, they're going to want it just like whoever they paid that good money to record that recording with mm-hmm. um, to do that. That's what they like. That's what they're banking their career on for right now. So they're going to expect you to play it like that. Right. And, and you know, you'll do a showcase and maybe you'll lead some other work and that kind of thing like that. He goes, well, you know, I don't, I don't do that. And I was like, excuse me, because I got my own roles. Oh. Oh. Okay. So, and he must sit at three or four other times that he had his own roles. Your own roles, man. He knows them. And I was like, well, uh, (laughs) play on, man. I hope that you'll find the band that your roles fit in. Oh, God. I really hope he did. I really hope that he did, man. (laughs) Right. Uh, Maybe a Who Trippy band, maybe? I don't know. We've all all had those experiences, I suppose. Uh, Man, but yeah, so you know they, those kind of calls were coming in all the time and everything. So you know, and it was a very professional. It was a warm, welcome place in the early days, but the row, music row, was just a few blocks away, and so constantly guys were coming in there and sitting there between their sessions or whatnot, and um, so there was a serious attitude about the professional clientele as well as whatever else came along you know kids lessons new drum sets for kids whatever it was um you guys were covering all bases but our real focus at that point in time uh larry london was still living you know crooney oh yeah hot player you still see him every once in a while yeah we were focused on trying to get in those circles of people and uh you know make sure that they had what they needed for their their session, you know. Well, there wasn't that why, um, because I, I don't obviously know the original opening time, but I feel like didn't you guys open right. up a little earlier right. because people would have ten o'clock sessions. We changed, correct. There was the Nashville ran two, uh, ten, two, and six sessions uh, times is what they'd start at, and so you had to be there at nine thirty or a little bit before to get your drum sounds or whatever as a drummer. So if we didn't open till ten o'clock on the nose, that didn't do them any good, right? Right. So we eventually changed it to nine thirty because there was maybe a phone call or an incident or something where somebody needed something for a session and it, we weren't there. And right. the next week we were. were there. <laughs> well, uh, the, the necessity was definitely a, a thing that would change, you know, even when I worked, worked there. One thing wouldn't work and you, you better knew, you knew the next week it was going to be different if it wasn't working because, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, learning on the fly kind of. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like, like the new frontier is going to be after all this stuff moves yeah. on. Um, I mean, you know, I can't tell you how many times I put drum heads out by the dumpster for Trey Gray because he couldn't get by there in time. Yeah. At the end of the day, you sure. know. I've done that too. And I would just <laughs> say, he'd say, I don't care. I don't care. I'll pay for them. I don't care. I got to have them. You know, take, and nothing ever happened. They sure. were always there and the people always got them. But yeah, back then we used to joke we could keep a vending machine out in front of the shop that was like, you know, say if sticks were $5 a pair, that we could easily charge 10 or $15 a pair yeah. in, the, in the vending machine and that, at night 
if somebody needed them bad enough. <laughs> you, know, you better believe those conversations. They would pump the money. Of course, you know, we weren't yeah. going to do that. But uh, Those conversations yeah. are still going. Let oh, me yeah. tell <laughs> <laughs> We're oh, still yeah. talking about doing that that's in awesome. here. That's awesome. When you talk about the session thing, that's kind of, I mean, this isn't a real big point, but anybody that comes into the store now will see that the thrones are still set up in the front, and that's kind of the thing. Yeah. We're, we're still trying to extend that warm welcome that you and Gary and everybody extended to us growing up. Yeah, yeah I think it's, uh, it, it is. It's, I feel that way when I come in here, and... Um, you know the it's changed the buildings changed but other than that that's that's all i can see that's different and you know you guys have great stock stock you you're always polite um there's always good answers on the other end of the phone whenever i call um and i let you borrow tools you let me borrow tools <laughs> there you go and I, sometimes i don't return for a month <laughs> well, hey we, we we have tools now that he can borrow yes that was true. Right, yeah joe dorn in the shop everybody thank you oh, i'll be borrowing those tools <laughs> now well you know we're very fortunate to not only have the example that you and gary set for all those years but also to continue with our, our new owner steve maxwell and we, yes. we appreciate him sort of just kind of letting us do gary's thing and, and our thing because we've you know we've all been here a long time and know mm-hmm. what you know hopefully we know our friends that come in here and we can still keep that going like we are now you got off from telling your story about your first time and you know we were saying that clay clay fuqua everybody will be a guest right very soon on the right. podcast in the early days yes. who has gone on to be uh, a monster in his own right in all aspects of uh He's drumming ex- and and drum teching and being just a, a superhero mm-hmm. um he started coming in the store. He was from Paducah, Kentucky, and his mom figured out, well, I drop him off at the drum shop, and I go do whatever it is I came to Nashville to do. And so Clay, at the ripe old age of about, I don't know, I think he was maybe 15 at the time. He wasn't old enough to drive. Yeah. So he would start showing up, and he was, uh, he, I'm going to embarrass him here, but he at the time he was dead into anything that had Campbell's soup on it. So he had a Campbell's soup hat and Campbell's soup uh, shirts and whatever it was. It was kind of like his little thing, yeah, you know. Yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, he was another one that uh, started like you, came in as a customer to begin with, and uh, eventually ended up working here and eventually – uh, now he's drum tech for Cheryl Crow, yeah, so yeah, he's he's no no shoddy job there. He was um, really excited to hear it that you, I told him today. He was like, "Man, I'm so sorry I can't be there." I was like, "It's okay. We got Polly coming on." And he's like, "Oh man," he's like, "I'm sad to see my dad on there." Tonight. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he's very stoked to watch this episode with you. Well, a fun time would be to have he and I and maybe Gary or oh, whoever as, get as, as if, we could, if we could get enough of us back here to, to, to fit around all these microphones. We could we could we could make that a late night show that could go on for hours probably. Oh, God. You get, well, especially if you got Trey Gray in here, man. He'd, oh God, he'd bring the tequila and it'd be like well it's three in the morning boys we're out of I'm telling we'll you just do a, do a live stream and just yeah. stream it late well, night we don't have enough hard drive space you just stumbled on a new idea we'll take it to the streets of Nashville after we leave here <laughs> okay okay yeah the party bus the forks party right. table whatever you want to call it yeah I think it's awesome do you uh, does anything stand out in your mind that you just have to share with our dedicated listeners in terms of like oh my gosh Paul Snyder is on the on the episode. I sure do hope that he says this or talks about that. Does anything jump out at you that you may want to remember wow. from the past or even the future? Like, what's coming up with you right now? Um, you know, for me, it's just trying to figure out what the future brings after, mm-hmm. as with everybody right now. And I, I have a f- positive feeling about it. It may be slow getting there, but... Uh, uh, you know, I think nothing but good is going to eventually come out of bad times. So, 
let's just hope that that's true. Yeah. Um, um, but I don't really have any one story, I guess, that sometimes you trip my memory when you bring things up. But um, Do you remember the time there was a guy... Um, Oh, a very famous individual, not a not a famous in a drummer name way, but just infamous person that used to <laughs> hang out in Nashville and other places. And he he was in the store one time, one of my favorites, and similar to what you were talking about, the cats calling looking for audition times and things. Yeah. He would sit there, and um, a good buddy, very famous producer of ours, uh, who also will remain remain nameless, came in and you know very cool customers coming in to get a few things for his son, who was a drummer also. Right. Yeah. And uh, the individual in question was had been sitting behind a drum set for for I feel like hours at the time and says um yes it's fa- uh, yes it's very nice to meet you please um would you like to listen to some of the beats that I am capable of playing and this f- world famous producer uh was very accommodating to this mm-hmm. individual and right. you know, we were all just sitting there like oh man you know the poor guy you know and you know you hear all those things you know but it's it, oh man there's well, so many things there was the, the individual that I think you're talking about who I think we should leave him nameless he will be but um, he uh, has woven many threads through Nashville over the year and not necessarily good ones and uh, yet he keeps trying coming back in he was Gosh. part-time uh, vintage drum salesman, mm-hmm. uh, part-time ticket broker. Uh, I won't call it scalping because I think it's legal in this state. But you could uh, buy resale tickets through him. Well, he would. This is the kind of things he would do, and he made good money doing it. I'm sure. But you know, it takes a certain type of mindset to to go after something like this. Uh, he would hire homeless people to stand in line for tickets to a, a hot show that maybe they were limiting, you know, ten tickets per person or whatever. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah. And so he would get around that by going and saying, "Hey, I'll pay you," because he was gonna, he came away with a briefcase full of tickets, sure. right? Sure. And then the prices went up you know and so I, I you know even if he gave them 20 bucks it's probably more than they were going to make all day long oh, yeah. and all they had to do is stand in line for a couple hours or whatever wild there was that um gary dealt with this individual more than i did and i could always see the look on his face after he had <laughs> which was just total drained well um, and that's very this is this story in particular is very few and far between because i'm sure a lot of customers and friends of ours watching this right now are like oh my god they talk about me like this or like they talk about all the customers and, and good lord no I mean, no this guys, is extreme you guys this were very is... welcoming to everyone that came in and yes. still hopefully we still are yeah. but um yes yes um, um we spoke to everybody that walked in the door oh. that was a big thing like always make everyone feel comfortable oh, yeah welcome. are you kidding that's the yeah. forks thing that's um, and, what we still and, try to do if you better if, say hi to them right now when right. they come in the door. Yeah, if they got back to the second level of the building and then somebody else, Gary or somebody, found out that they were looking for some particular things and nobody had even greeted them yet, that was not a good thing and that would be dealt with and rectified. Well, you know how it is. You, you know? guys go to like a oh, I don't know, a nationwide hardware store chain yeah. and then you look around for Flyers and you literally from one end of 45,000 feet to the other don't see a single employee. That's the experience we don't, and Gary didn't want you to have at right. the drum store. And no, it is absolutely a business killer. It will. For any kind of business. Totally. Uh, customer service is, is first and foremost, and uh, 
that is the success story of Forks. For that, sure. The, that the family knowing, business. And, knowing the and, product. Yes. Well, you got to have the knowledge and you got to have uh, the, the uh, confidence from the buyer that you have the knowledge. Um, and sometimes just having knowledge isn't enough, you know. And it's hard to have knowledge and experience. Sure. Because that generally means you're just old. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. What do you mean? But, uh, <laughs> but for that time period, we had a lot of all of that. And uh, that was, the you know, the, the, the time that opened this business up to allow it to be what it's become today you know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so but uh you know without sucking up it, it all goes back to the the forkums and uh, the warm family vibe that they presented in general and i think it's uh it's a testament to why they had so many people work there for so long good way to say that yeah. I would say that because you I were mean, you were with Forks for twenty. Uh, I think it was close to twenty six years, yeah. somewhere like that. I think yeah. I started in eighty five, and then uh, you know a few years ago. But um, yeah, um, but yeah, it's a, and you've been there here now. Uh, so next month will be my fifteenth year. Right. Yeah. Right. So you don't generally stay somewhere working somewhere for people that 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 sure you don't like them or the way they treat people or whatever it is or if it's just for money there's lots of ways to just go make money you know oh yeah so um, now this is about more than that I mean not to, that the of course you got well it was bill, started but. by a Gary who had a love for drums he right. still does. Um, it, it's just in him, you know, and um, that 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 passion. And Steve Maxwell, I don't know him very well, but I, I get the feeling that he's exactly that same way. Steve is constantly videotaping drum sets being played by either himself or other people. He loves drums. He nerds out about drums. And I can say the word nerd. I've been to five Star Trek conventions, okay? <laughs> I can say um, the. Uh, you know, um, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. He he is a drum fan. Exci- he's excited about it. Same story. Yeah, I've watched Gary. his videos, and uh, I've met him in here a handful of times. And I know he wants to carry on uh, in the same light that uh, Gary and Melissa ran it for years. And uh, it seems that he is doing that. And um, well, and you too, because I mean, you were a big part of that for all of us for a long time. Well, yeah, I was. But at at the end of the day, who's the one guy that I, no the name, name on the on the no. sign out front, right? Well, that's true. <laughs> I mean, I mean, serious stuff. Like there, there was a guy who big time. I don't know. I can't remember what his name was. Actually, I'm not pretending. But um, big session guy drummer that would come in and like had to have his snare drum tuned by Paul Snyder that day. Like, I, Paul, I'm in trouble. I got a session right now. Well, Please. Croon was one of them. Okay. But his was more or less the the. Uh, it would just he would get it out of whack trying to make an engineer happy, and oh, yeah. then he he you know that's the thing with with drummers that they can have all the talent in the world, and they have the most successful career in the world, and some of them might not could tell you what size their drum heads are for sure. Uh, and Croon is proud of that. Croon, well, Croon, uh, he just did, was unapologetic about Don't, it, yeah. you know, and Take it wasn't that interesting to him. He liked making music, he liked recording, yeah. all those things, which he obviously had a great career at, but the nuts and bolts of how his snare drum, top head to bottom head, and all that stuff, totally. you know. But he would bring it to me, and I'd get it back in, in shape. Yep. Um, Lonnie Wilson, uh, I used to pick out his cymbals for him. You know, he'd call and say, I just need a, a couple of big crashes, Zildjian, you know. He it, still plays that Z Custom Ride, I think. Possibly, I don't know. Um, but 
and then you got other guys, you know, like Shannon Forrest, who came in here when he was like, what, 16, 17 oh, sure. years old, and he was just doing sessions at his dad's studio. Yeah. But he was like us. He's a total drum geek, huge Jeff Carl fan, total drum geek, and uh, just l- loved yeah. drums and being – same with Mark Beckett. Sh- just, Shannon's out with Boss Gags? Was he – or he was He was out with – he's been out with Toto. Toto now, uh, right. You know, I think he's been touring with them for a number of years now, but he played on everybody's records here for, sure. for, for a number of years, like – prune and everybody else but uh so um you know that's the thing you know you 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 sit back and you see okay i've been here since 1979 and i've witnessed all these different levels of these guys who came up and had success and came up and had success and all that so sometimes when i'm reading things on social media sometimes i I don't get involved because i I think some of it gets a little mean-spirited in the moment, you know? Oh, sure. And and my overall thing is when I sit back and think, I think, well, yeah, everybody has a ride. Oh. And, you know, it's going to end at some point, and so you just better be a, be a good guy, a nice guy, and go in there like a plumber and do your job the way you're supposed to do it, where you get called back. It is. And that's a Greg Morrow uh, thing he used to say. You know, I said, I look at it like I'm a plumber. I want to go in. I want to do the job right. I want to be polite. I want to get do it clean, and I want to get paid, and yeah. I want them to call me back. And Greg is that way. Mm-hmm. He is exactly. Yeah. Uh, one of my one of my favorite crew stories is because um, you're talking about the whole gear thing, and he he'll tell you right now this this story. He'll come in and tell you, but whatever studio they were at, and it was kind of at the beginning probably in the 70s or, or um, whenever double-headed drums were coming mm-hmm. back around. And he talked about he spent all day tuning them, you know, because it was like the biggest, greatest thing. Drum, double-head drums are back. Concert times mm-hmm. are out. And he gets them all going or whatever. And I, I think it was Larry London that put a bunch of stuff in the air holes. Oh, yeah. So he would go in to do the track and he'd hit the toms and it because <laughs> there was <laughs> crap inside of There drum. used to be a lot of uh, <laughs> studio silliness that went on between guys who would say get done with a certain time period if it was the 10 o'clock session and yeah. the 2 o'clock guy was coming in and maybe it wasn't the same room maybe his drums were over here in this other room but yeah. he knew the cards guys hadn't come to get it yet so or if they'd set up the guy who's getting ready to be next the guy who just got finished would go in there and go oh let's see what he's got oh. going on so uh, I've heard stories of him turning Tom Toms upside down yeah. so that the tighter head is all of a sudden on oh, the good. top. That's and and it, it takes you a minute when you sit down at first because nothing else seems different, you know, yeah, and yeah. all of a sudden like ping, ping, boom, 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 yeah. you know. <laughs> and you're sitting going on and then you realize, uh, you know, or easier things like where they just turn all the symbols upside down oh, on that's the stand. So you just got to go through and turn them, you know. But I've, I've heard all kinds of little well, stories like that. Well, Kroon uh, said instead of taking the heads off to let the crap out of the drums, he went over and got somebody in the session cigarette burn holes in the bottom dump the stuff out and then went and finished the session they were like Jerry do you like that he's like I'm not taking the time to retune these I spent all day tuning them that is classic croony right there boy like just get it done get out that's it that's it I didn't ask for all this yeah I got other places to be hilarious you gotta imagine burning we gotta get done guys burn the hole out of the bottom head good lord yep him and Tommy Wells used to be funny Mm -hmm. when they'd get together and uh I don't know why exactly, but he called Tommy Titmouse. Tommy and, had that name, but I and I never understood. Did he really? My dad I, him I, I just Titmouse. thought it was a croony thing. Oh, they were wow. croony could get away with it. Nobody else needed to know why. But because you know, I always had a ton of respect for Tommy, and I just uh, I wouldn't have just taken it upon myself to sure. call him sure. unless I knew some history yeah. behind it or whatever, you know. But well, dude, uh, same dude, same thing. They were, I guess, Tommy and Jerry, Tom and Jerry, yeah, uh, were doing the the PAS, and they were doing like Nashville drummers yeah. studio thing. It was yeah. 
years ago. And I guess some some fan of Jerry's asked him, Mr. Croon, you know, big fan of whatever it is, and I'd love to know your take on drum sizes and, and what you usually use. And, and Jerry's typical Croon says, I, kid, yeah, I don't know. What, Tommy, what size drums do I play? And Tommy, being the gear nerd that he is. Tommy was the to, nerd of the two, had for to tell sure. What right. Jerry's that playing. That was what was so funny about this package deal that they would have these people flying from out of town and pay to be a, a part of, uh, kind of like what Rich Redmond does these days, you know. What's but up, Rich? It was, it was one of the earlier, earlier versions of that. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. But they couldn't have been uh, two different, more different personalities oh as far as being, <laughs> you know, anal about the way their stuff set up and or knowing about it or whatever. Um, Versus not knowing or, yeah, or caring. Right, because Tommy would want all his wing nuts on one on the one side of yep. the, the drum on the height, I mean the stand on the height adjustment because he didn't want to have to reach around here and grab one over here or over here no or whatever. Tommy and I got along so yeah. well. <laughs> well <laughs> he was a lot of things I, I, I ended up doing myself, yeah. you know, and I realized, well, that does kind of make sense, you know. And I said, well, if I'm reaching over here, I'm generally reaching with my left hand, so okay, yeah. You know? Oh, dude. Tommy would come in when I first started working there, and, and I was I just, and I still had my first drum kit, and I was trying to figure out, because all you dudes had amazing Gretsch USA drum kits and other yeah. things, and, and I was like, oh my God, I got, I got to have a real drum set. I can't work here. All these awesome guys have these killer kits, and I'm like, piddly little whatever it is. So Tommy would come in, and he'd see me trying stuff, and he'd be like, what you doing there, boy? You looking at some, you thinking about getting those? And I'll be like, I'm kind of, he's like, you better be sure. And so then you're immediately like, well, I don't know if I want him now. Like, what do you mean? Like, so he was very yeah, subconsciously influential in where I ended right, up. Right, right. Yeah, he, he didn't sugarcoat everything, but you could take everything he said to be the uh, the truth about the music oh, yeah. business mm-hmm. and how to go about being uh, a player in town, 100%. a real on the card guy, you know, playing, getting paid by the union, all that kind of thing. Yep. All everything was on the straight and narrow with Tommy. Yeah. You know? so. Until you started talking hockey. Oh man. Well, <laughs> and it's funny because I totally missed that boat with Tommy because I, I admit being from the South, I just wasn't interested to begin with. Yeah. And he was long. He's from Detroit area yeah. and a long time hockey guy. And for years before we even had the Predators or anything here, you know. And he would say, oh, I can explain it to you. And, and, you know, he'd start telling us, and my eyes would glaze over, you know. <laughs> and, and as the Predators got bigger and, and more successful and stuff and got in the playoffs and things like that, I started watching him, and then it became the game slowed down for me, yep. and it became a thing where I started to understand the rules and how it all – and it became a thing, okay, this is strategy. I see what's going on, the way right. they're skating around here. The, first, when you watch hockey, it's just like, oh, right. that's yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can't even. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sad that I missed being able to have real hockey discussions with Tommy uh, before he left us um, because uh, I didn't wasn't sensible enough to get into it till after that. Gary would laugh every time uh, Tommy and I would be sitting out on the thrones in the front of the shop. Yeah. And, you know, most guys would be sitting there talking about yeah. sessions or talking about gear. Right, right. There's me and Tommy sitting there talking about hockey. Hockey, right. Yeah. 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 And yeah. we'd talk for yeah. hours. Well, and don't even get him started on, on football versus <laughs> hockey, boy. You oh, like, man. you know. So, oh, dude. he's probably right about that, too, you know, but nevertheless. You know, when, when Gary and Melissa sold the business, we yeah. had to sort of, uh, I don't, this isn't the right word, but we don't, we were trying to harvest everything they had left over. Yeah, like yeah. any sales reports right. or anything. So, we found this big folder on Melissa's computer full of all these it just said old shop and it was tons of pictures of the old store in the yeah. front with Trey Gray Tommy Wells yeah. everybody just standing around yeah. Ron Ganaway was in there yeah. and you're like man this that's just what this place is all about man all these all these cats 
just feeling like it's home. Cause, yeah. Because it, it really is it, for me. It, and everyone yeah. Else. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. it is for me. It's part of my life and will always be a part of my life as long as I'm here. And um, that's a, a great thing. That's what, it's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Um, Man, Paul, thank you for being here with us. Yeah, oh, it's been a blast, man. man. I know it was a little last minute, but man, you came through <laughs> in, a, in a big way. Thank you for well, being here. Well, I'm uh, honored to be here, honored to still be involved uh, with Forks Drum Closet, whether it's just as a customer now or whatever. Um, and um, Well, you've helped us out. Yeah, you still help I have time to time. filled in, and I'm always happy to do that. And, we may uh, have you answering phones next week. Well... <laughs> Oh yeah. When did when did you move from Larry's building to, to across the street? Larry's building to the fur to the last yeah, last yeah, yeah, location yeah, yeah. in ninety six. Ninety six. Mm-hmm. And was there was there another location in between that time? The way it went was Larry had over in, in Berry Hill had corner music. Right. Around the corner of Iris and Bransford, I think it okay. was. It's a yeah. dental shop, dental place or something. And he had a handful of drum things. And other than that, you went to Madison, to Winkler's, or right. you went downtown to DOG, which Debbie was nice and everything, but they were a little bit kind of snootified, yeah. dealt with strictly with session guys. And that was one of the reasons why Gary knew, well, you don't have to treat those guys. You don't have to be just like right. that. You know, you can have a, some of that and some of the other things as far as customer base goes. And um, so they lost their lease down on uh, – 19th is where they were down there by Nicholson's Hi-Fi is where the original DOG was you know and so uh, then they moved out there and uh when I moved in with Gary, I mean, I started working for Gary. He was already over there on 12th Avenue. I mean, just barely. Yeah. Just, just as a matter of fact, I helped. When I first moved there, the other place that became Forks Drum Closet that you first came mm-hmm. to was a drugstore. Okay. And that those French doors that go through from one side to the yeah, other were yeah, not yeah. there. Okay. Because it's literally two different buildings. If you go right. stand yeah. outside, yeah. and the part that yeah, because they, they they cut the hole in the wall to make right, the audio right. Work. So right. we came in through that door that nobody used. That was right. our entrance to Forks for all those years, right. you know. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, now, I remember So that if now. that was eighty five, yeah, that had to be close. But but like I said, we. We originally weren't in that part. We originally, the, the one I first worked for Gary, and I think I was part-time to begin with, you walked in Corner Music just like you did at the old place, right? And they had that road case thing that everybody stood behind. And there was a partition that went down, straight down behind, uh, like, pegboard that was only, didn't go all the way to the ceiling or anything. Yeah. And one half was Forks Drum Closet, and one half was was Corner Music. <laughs> and we all shared the front counter and the phones and you know, all that stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and it wasn't long after that before they got the idea to move him over there. And uh, Let me ask, was Dan working at, at uh, Corner at that point? Was he there? Dan? Dan. Blonde hair. He had like, or not blonde, silver. He had like yeah. silver kind of Older long guy. hair, kind of goatee mustache. He's been there forever. Ray. Ray. No, 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 no. Not, not Ray. Dan Ray's always, been. Dan sat down. Like you go in Corner, yeah. he was sitting there. And he's always grumpy. I thought you were talking. That sounds like Ray to me. Ray's the oldest guy that I remember <laughs> yeah. being. Ray there, is like that also. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. Ray, yeah. Ray's still, well, some reason I'm not know, remembering the Dan. But um, at any rate, that's uh, the the kind of the timeline. So I went in one day to Corner Music because they had these particular drumsticks that I would buy from Larry for like three dollars a pair, so I wouldn't have to drive to wherever they were huge they were like 3S marching sticks and I was playing this <laughs> funk band right and so I'd buy them and you know just trying to be save money or whatever not drive to Madison I go in there one day and I look over in that room that had had a few sticks and a few heads and there's nothing in there 
And I was like, what the hell happened? So, I, I, and so Ray, I think it was, goes, he just kind of surly points down the hallway, and I was walking <laughs> down the hall, and there's that little shingle hanging outside the closet, that Forks Trump closet. And I go in there, and Gary's standing behind one one of those glass counters, which may be still one you of these. You know what? These are up there, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whichever one was the only one he had at the time. He had a symbol stand with a used symbol on it, and a you know just a handful of crap. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah. And uh, uh, that was the first time I ever met Gary. And then uh, you know, come to think of Ernie, must have been a partner at or becoming a partner when he moved across the street to the house. Because he used to call me before I actually started working for him. He used to call me every so often and ask me if I could come watch the shop for him while they went down to Sevier Park and play tennis. <laughs> and I would go by there. It's and so I would sit there for hours and not, the phone wouldn't ring. Nobody would come in. You know? But I didn't start working for him until, uh, strangely enough, the year I got married. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, well, isn't, that, isn't that interesting? Funny how that works isn't out, isn't it? <laughs> he sat me down the year I got married. He sat me down in the office. He's like, okay. We work on this attitude. He's like, you bought a house this year. He's like, you're getting married this year. We need to straighten you out. I was like, yes, sir. <laughs> like I was like 25, like or whatever it was. He's he like, did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had he had, was a little bit of a dad talk with me. He was like, you know, I don't want to lose you. He's like, I know you need this job. I, I, lo- like, I love how Gary is like. I was like, yes, sir. The dad or the big brother to all. Well, it's interesting that because yeah, he's been like that to me, and technically, I'm like we're we're born two weeks apart. Oh wow! And I'm two weeks older. Oh wow! <laughs> I'm December sixth. He's the sixteenth. So and we're we're almost two peas in a pod about so many things, you know. But um, but he yeah, has always kind of been that way for me as well. One of the things I remember, you know, um, when you first came to work there. And I said, set this drum set up, you know, and, and you know, we sold one, so we had to set another one up. And it was over there kind of uh, where you go into the air conditioning room or whatever. You okay. Know? And, I think I remember and you're setting it up, and all of a sudden, I'm like, what the fuck? I go, I'm up front of the counter. I go, walk around, look in there. And you're like, you got you to gotta put and stick in your hand. <laughs> Ten-inch tom-tom, right? And I was like, Danny, whoa, dude. I said, we got to sell those. And you were like, well, it's not going to tune itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went, it's not that you're tuning it. That's great. But the drum heads, we're going to have to replace them in order to sell it like that. And you just looked at me like I was the biggest in the world and so it's funny now to see how you you know obviously come full circle in those respects I mean you did many years ago obviously I'm but pay- now I'm paying the price for everything that I did back then <laughs> yeah right dude I do I vividly remember that like, yeah because immediately after I was like I was like 21 I was like meh you know right. like and then like right. you know obviously like, now I'm 40 I'm like yeah I was an <laughs> well, at that point, I had a few years of it, you know, and uh, and you know, I remember we used to walk in that second room, and there was a if people were banging on drums, and there was a phone on the wall right there, and I'd just go in there and I pick it up and go, "Hey guys, can't hear." Got a customer on the phone, can't hear a word, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they go, oh, oh, sorry, you know, and sit the sticks down. I talk, I act like I talked for a oh, second no, and hung it back up. <laughs> 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 somebody got wise to it, you know? Dude, the first day, I remember standing behind these front counters, and you and Jenny were like, answer this. Somebody walk up, you do this. And I remember watching you guys like, I'll never be uh, able to do this ever. <laughs> You're like tickets are here, sticks are there, heads are here. This is that. Run over here, get this. I was like, I'm never gonna remember all this. <laughs> like, this is the hardest job ever. 
<laughs> you were working at a storage facility yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. I remember you came in with a little. Yep. Gary called. Gary called me and said, "Hey, can you come over and do an interview right now?" And I was at work, and I was like, "Closed." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "I'll be right there." <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, are you gonna quit? Yeah, I don't care. Yes, I'm gonna quit. <laughs> oh, okay. Where are we at? I was so excited to be working with you guys. And I, you know, I'm still excited to be your friend right now. It might well, be the beer talking. It was talking, an exciting 9%. time back then, you know, for everybody, and uh, and we were on the verge of something that that we didn't know what it was going to turn into. I mean, this was the time when Pearl and Yamaha recording series, and we oh. didn't have Yamaha either. We oh, yeah. we had Tama and Gretsch were the two main. So you can imagine the sales we had oh. to try to do that, and then, you know, until Gary started figuring out ways to get them in there sideways. Sure, you know? right. But, you speak about look. You saw Ian Wallace's recording custom, didn't you? Oh wow! Look at those. Who's are those? Ian Wallace. His, his his wife is selling them. Oh, he died like eight years uh, yeah, ago. Yeah, okay, wow, because he's had those for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ten, the uh, the snare ten, twelve, sixteen with the wood hoops, and then that Steve Gaddish kind of thing on the other side. Yeah, you know, I had a set that I actually t- left over at the studio for a while, and at the end of the day, the I just ended up mainly Tom Tom wise yeah. ended up liking the Gretches. Of course, overall yeah. more, you know. But we got these two Gretsch sets in. One ended up with Steve Clink, and one ended up with me. Mine was Cherry, his was Natural. Both of them were 10, 12, 14, 16 hanging drums, twenty-two, right? And it's the set that still lives over at the studio. And and I had had Tama Art Stars, Yamahas. You know, I'd as long as I'd worked for Gary at that point, I had you know access to drums, so I'd gone through the game. And we built the studio. You know, I started taking them over there. I bought you know Noble and Coolies, all this stuff. You know, thinking, you know, ended up using two snare drums when it was all said and done yeah. but <laughs> the day that I took those red rosewood gretches over there those and, ones you still use yes. yeah and Michael went what drums are those <laughs> from the control room yeah. and I was like because I had been thinking that when I hear somebody play them in the shop for a, for a while at that point you know but I didn't really understand drums quite like I do now I guess you know but uh, that's that kit that uh, what is that the the Exotic gum. Yeah, the exotic gum kit. That that kit sounds amazing. Oh, which one is that? Uh, In between the the pearl, the blue pearl, the the, the, uh, custom. Yeah, Yeah, the exotic gum. It's a great show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An incredible kit. Well, you know, Paul Cooper does great, great work down there. So, all right, everybody, uh, that's it for today. I want to thank Paul Snyder and, of course, Daniel Duchette. Thank you, Joe. For uh, being here and uh, having some fun, talking old times and uh, old friends and yep. uh, giving some stories about drums and Forks Drum Shop and Nashville and music industry in general. This is our podcast. Uh, as always, tag us in your licks, pics, and videos. Uh, we're here to talk about everything, drums or not. And uh, send us your questions to podcast at forkstrumcloset.com. Uh, one of us will, will get it, probably James or Marshall. Uh, and uh, your questions will show up on a future podcast. Um, we appreciate each and every one listening in and watching. This is a new venture for us, and we couldn't be happier getting to talk drums with all of you. Uh, give us a follow, like, subscribe to our YouTube uh, Facebook, 
What other formats are we on? Instagram, oh, Instagram, Twitter. Do we have yeah. a TikTok? Uh, I don't think we have TikTok yet. I think the kids, the kids are TikTok. That's a metronome joke. <laughs> <laughs> what is a TikTok? Yeah. Um, well, you, you, can do, you can do old-fashioned retail too. Just yeah. walk oh, in yeah. the front door. The front door, right, right there. There's our front door. Uh, come on in. Please come see us. Yes, 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 yes. And uh, we do have one of a few very unique uh, hand sanitizer dispensers in the, the country. So I would uh, think that the hi-hat stand dispenser is something that is I had no idea until I came here today that that was shot. I saw it on social media. And well, I there, thought, there, there have been a couple. Okay. But immediately after Joe did one, immediately. Well, I'm pretty sure that's the one I saw. I so, think so. You know, the prototype. I think you're a shark tank. all I can say. I'm telling you what. Those folks. <laughs> Everyone, be safe out there. We again thank you for watching us and uh, tuning in, and we will see you next time on Absolutely. the Forks Drum Closet Podcast. Heck yeah, Paul Snyder. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me here. I enjoyed it thoroughly. This is something I have been smiling about all day, but also sort of subconsciously before this, because I've been looking through it, forward to it my entire life. Well, when you asked me if I was interested, I got the same happy feeling, so I'm glad that it worked out for all involved, and uh, fun, fun Dude, times. Thanks for yes. times. Good times. times. What are we, uh, Joe, what are we drinking on well, tonight? Well, uh, I'm drinking on a uh, New Belgium Voodoo Ranger mm. Imperial IPA. Okay, I'll be joining you with the... Uh, these with are the tall. Yes, these, these are, are these are the extra tall boys. It's a tall beer. Uh, this is a 9% beer. We got I went for the Paul. heavy Guinness Extra Stout. Yeah. Uh, and uh, nothing else to be said about that except for it's good. <laughs> I feel like we would pour... I feel like we could pour these beers on top of that beer and it would be like a solute. Where the, this is pretty much a meal it's in just, a it bottle. sit on top of your beer. It'd almost be a black and tan. I might have to try that <laughs> I'm telling sometime. you what, man. Well, cheers, everybody. Cheers, Thanks everyone. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, Paul. Ooh, nice pop. Yeah. Sample that. Cheers, all. Beautiful, guys. That's fun.